This is the Cancer Radio Network. Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast, presented by Coloplast. I think give yourself permission to be sexual, first of all, um, that uh, you are a human in a human body that happens to have cancer, and that does not remove the fact that you're a sexual being. Um, so giving yourself permission to redefine what that might look throughout the course of your treatment. If you have advanced disease and you're going to be living with this for a while, that may mean that you need to redefine it every time you get a new treatment that um, has new side effects and learning and and learning how to navigate that and manage that for your own body and your sexual body is important. And for those who complete treatment, that you have the right to sexual intimacy. You have the right to be a sexual person. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, presented by Coloplast, offering stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those affected by colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 69 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. As you heard in the tagline, If you're new to the show, we offer stories of information, inspiration, and hope to those touched by colorectal cancer. And in this show, we interview survivors, caregivers, patients, and medical professionals. And this week, we will be talking to a medical professional, and we're going to be talking about sex. So now that I have your attention, we'll get to our guest in just a few minutes, Uh, But some uh, information that I want to share with you, and then we'll get to uh, the upcoming events. And first is that uh, I have a request. I don't usually make a request to the audience, but I am going to make a request. I'm assuming you're listening to the show because colorectal cancer has touched your life in some shape or fashion. And I've come to realize that there are many people out there like yourself who've been touched by this disease who really would gain some benefit from hearing the stories and the interviews that we share on this show, but they don't know that the show exists. So my request of you is that if you know someone that falls into that category who would benefit from listening to this show, perhaps it's a doctor, a medical professional, a family member, don't just tell them about the show because what we found is, is while podcasting is growing, uh, at rapid at a very rapid rate, many people don't know what a podcast is and don't know how to access it. And most are accessing it through their mobile device. So if you know someone that falls in that category, grab your phone. If it's an iPhone, you want to look for that native podcast app, the one that's lavender in color. It says podcasts. And actually show the person. Tap the app. Tap on the magnifying glass search and type in colon cancer podcast. And tap that button that says subscribe. And now they'll be all set up. And anytime a new episode comes out, which is every other week, that little red number will appear on that app telling them there's a new episode out. If they are using Android, in that case, the app that you'll want to use is Stitcher. And that is spelled S-T-I-T-H-T-C-H, excuse me, E-R, S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. And that is the uh, popular app that people are finding podcasts on if you are on the Android platform. 
So find someone who you think would benefit from listening. Tell them and show them how to subscribe to the show. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me uh, just based on the feedback that I've received from you that there are many out there that could benefit from listening to these uh, informative interviews. If you have an ostomy and are experiencing leakage, that is not normal and you don't have to live with leakage. Feeling secure is important to be able to do the things you enjoy without worrying that you may have to deal with an embarrassing leak. Skin-friendly Brava Elastic Barrier Strips from Colaplast are designed to prevent the edges of your barrier from lifting and help to keep your barrier securely in place. They are elastic and are designed to move with you as you bend and stretch. The innovative Brava Elastic Barrier Strips from Colaplast are a skin-friendly alternative to tape and are available for you to try today. Don't let leakage rule the day. Call one 855 430-9500 today to receive a free sample of Brava Elastic Barrier Strips. A couple of big announcements taking place uh, that the Colon Cancer Alliance uh, has some exciting information to share. The first one I want to tell you about is that the Colon Cancer Alliance has launched the first ever Chris for Life peer-reviewed research program. And this is uh, named uh, in memory of Christine Sapienza, the mother of, our, of the CEO of the Colon Cancer Alliance, Michael Sapienza, who passed away from colon cancer back in 2009. And this grant is the first of its kind focused on early onset colorectal cancer. It's a $125,000 grant that's being offered and will be awarded at the end of 2017. For more information, just visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. But this is so exciting. There's just been an alarming increase in the rate of diagnosis uh, for colon cancer and rectal cancer for people under the age of 50. And uh, what a great thing that the Colon Cancer Alliance is offering the first ever grant trying to get this figured out in all honesty, trying to figure out what is going on and what is causing this. So congratulations to Michael Sapienza, Nicole Sheehan, and the whole leadership team of the Colon Cancer Alliance for making this happen. I'm also excited to share with you, if you hadn't heard, that the annual Colon Cancer Conference, each year the Colon Cancer Alliance hosts a conference, and this year's conference, titled Tomorrow Can't Wait, is taking place in Cleveland, Ohio, on November 1st and 2nd in partnership with the Cleveland Clinic. So I can't wait uh, to attend this conference. This will be my fourth conference. So I'm very excited about that. This is open to anybody touched by colorectal cancer. This is patients, survivors, caregivers, family members, advocates, healthcare professionals, etc. There will be uh, scholarship money available for those needing some assistance in order to be able to attend this conference. More information on the scholarships that will be available and more general information about the event will be posted soon on the Colon Cancer Alliance website as well as on the conference's own website, which is coloncancerconference.org. So keep an eye on that website, coloncancerconference.org, for more information on the upcoming Tomorrow Can't Wait 2017 Colon Cancer Alliance Conference. I will be there. We will be podcasting from that conference again. 
and interviewing many of the uh, presenters at the conference. So for those of you that won't be able to attend, these, this podcast will be your vehicle to be able to tune in to what's taking place because we'll be interviewing some of these presenters and getting highlights of their presentation that you'll be able to find on the Colon Cancer Alliance website as well as on the Colon Cancer Podcast website and stay connected to all that's taking place at this conference. And I just got the idea. We're going to repeat what we did last year out in Arizona since the conference is taking place in November. I'm going to invite attendees, all of our friends of the show, patients, caregivers, survivors, whoever's in attendance, to stop by the Colon Cancer Podcast table. We will have a table set up there. And we're going to record holiday greetings that we'll play on episodes as we get closer to the holidays. Yes, it is June, and you just heard the word holidays. Sorry, but... uh, Got to talk about it now. If you have an ostomy or are undergoing chemotherapy, you know at times it can be a struggle to stay hydrated. That's where H2ORS can help. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, which is an over-the-counter electrolyte drink mix for dehydration. H2ORS is a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So, for those of you who are struggling to stay hydrated due to an ostomy or chemotherapy, H2ORS can help replenish your fluid and electrolyte levels. It has three times the electrolytes of most sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. If you would like to try a free sample of H2ORS, go to h2ors.com sample and they'll ship one out to you. No strings or hidden costs attached. Also, when you make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the code CCPOD, you will get 10% off your first order. I'm also excited to share with you all the exciting events taking place across the country put on by the Colon Cancer Alliance. And the first one is coming up this Saturday, June the 17th, and that is the next stop of the Undy Run Walk, which is in Portland, Oregon, taking place at the Old Spaghetti Factory is where they're starting the race. And that begins at 7 a.m. registration. I've been to several of these Undy Run Walks. They're a lot of fun. You have your choice of a one-mile fun walk or a 5K-timed run. Come on out. We've got Uh, fun boxers to hand out to you. The uh, energy and enthusiasm at these events is really a lot of fun. So come on out if you're up in the Portland area. Then uh, the following day, actually that weekend in Seattle, just a little bit north, is the Rock and Roll Marathon Series. This is a series of uh, 5Ks, half marathons, uh, different lengths of timed races, also put on by the Colon Cancer Alliance in partnership with the Rock and Roll Marathon Series. So that's coming up on June 18th in Seattle. We have an exciting and informative online webinar taking place. Really important. You don't want to miss this. This is coming up on Wednesday, June the 21st from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And we'll be talking about the findings from the 2017 ASCO Annual Meeting. ASCO stands for the American Society of Clinical Oncology, and they have an annual meeting. Typically, the Colon Cancer Alliance has a follow-up webinar like this one, where we'll be talking about uh, the latest news and information coming from that conference. 
talking about treatment and how the survivorship landscape has dramatically changed as the FDA has approved new drugs and treatment options. So to learn more about uh, the ASCO conference and what's coming down the road in terms of treatment options, you don't want to miss this webinar. Again, that's taking place on Wednesday, June 21st from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. For more information, go to the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org forward slash events. More runs, more walks, more chance to get some exercise after Portland. Uh, the next stop for the Undie Run Walk is in Denver. That's taking place on Saturday, June 24th at City Park. There's a untimed fun run taking place in Case, South Carolina on the same day, the 24th, at Timmerman Trail, and that's from 8 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. We have a Let's Get Scoping community uh, run walk taking place at Fort Harrison Park in Indianapolis, Indiana, and that is happening on July 1st. So for those folks up in the July, in the Indianapolis area, check out the Let's Get Scoping event. Rock and Roll Marathon Series hits Chicago the weekend, July 15th. And then the Undie Run Walk on Saturday, July 15th stops at the Jersey Shore. So our folks out in the Long Branch, Jersey Shore area, I know we'll see you out there for that Undie Run Walk. I want to welcome and say thank you to our newest sponsor, Exact Sciences, manufacturer of Cologuard. Cologuard is the first and only FDA-approved, non-invasive, stool DNA-based colon cancer screening test. It's for patients 50 and older at average risk of colon cancer. Cologuard is shipped directly to you where you can provide a sample in the comfort of your own home and ship it back to the lab, postage prepaid. Cologuard is not for everyone. It is not a replacement for diagnostic or surveillance colonoscopy in high-risk individuals. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. Cologuard is available by prescription only. Ask your doctor if Cologuard is right for you. Find out more information by visiting their website at cologuardtest.com. My guest this week is Sage Bolte. Sage serves as the Executive Director of Life with Cancer and Associate Director of Psychosocial Programs for the Inova Shar Cancer Institute in Virginia. Uh, she is a licensed clinical social worker and certified sex therapist, and she brings her experience in psychosocial and oncology research and helps patients, survivors, and caregivers maneuver through the uh, challenges of sex and intimacy, uh, and how cancer imp impacts uh, patients, survivors, and caregivers. This was a really informative, very frank discussion. Uh, no topic was uh, left, uh, left to the imagination. I mean, that's not the best choice of words, but Sage was terrific. She, she, you'll, you'll hear that there was nothing that she was not willing to discuss, and this is a tough topic. You know, we talk about colon cancer being the embarrassing disease because it's body function. And then you layer on sex on top of that, which for many people, unfortunately, in my opinion, is also embarrassing. And But it's important. It's an important part of, of who we are and our relationships. So I was really 
uh, appreciative that Sage took the time to join me on the Colon Cancer Podcast. I know you'll gain a lot from our conversation, as, as did I. So join me now for my conversation with Sage Bolte. Sage, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you, Lee. I'm glad to be here. Well, uh, it means so much to me. Uh, we've been doing this show, as I said, before we went on the air a few years, and the topic of sex is not one that we've covered yet. So this is a first, and it's an important one, I, and yeah. all the more reason why I appreciate this. And, and as I think about our, our, our audience of colon, patient, colon cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers, mm-hmm. a common theme that comes up is, you know, this is the embarrassing disease. And now we're layering on top of that, the quote, embarrassing topic on top of the embarrassing <laughs> disease. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. For, for me, nothing is really embarrassing and everything's on the table. So, um, I, you know, I think whatever the disease is, that this is an important quality of life topic. So I'm, I'm glad to be here to be talking about it. No question. And, you know, I, I wish these things weren't embarrassing because it, it is important to talk about. So where I wanted to go first was, you know, from my perspective, you've got a lot of dynamics going on here. Mm-hmm. You've got patient slash survivor, you've got caregivers, mm-hmm. and then you've got the whole gender piece yeah. too. So sure. where, where I wanted to go first is what are the biggest issues facing patients like myself. And I want to start with men first. Okay. So, um, you know, uh, some of this has to do with staging of disease, of course, and um, the impact of disease on sexual function, where the tumors are, uh, any resection that was required, and whether there was nerve damage, um, or if somebody needed uh, an ostomy bag, uh, or an ileostomy, that certainly can impact both body image, but also sometimes sexual functioning because of, of nerves. Um, so for men specifically, I think it's always important to talk first about body image and how a man perceives oneself, um, not just physically, but also uh, emotionally, sexually, the role they play with their sexual partner or themselves sexually. And a colorectal cancer diagnosis can impact that um, for men just as it can women. So um, for men, uh, if there has been um, resection, um, that there certainly could be nerve damage that could impact um, sexual function and meaning both um, erectile function, being able to get a firm erection uh, for penetration or for masturbation, um, which again, you don't need a firm uh, erection in order to have sexual pleasure. But I think there is this myth for men that the only kind of erection is a firm erection. And so, um, being able to talk honestly about that with him, uh, with him and his partner or his physician about, um, ways to improve that erection, that would be one impact, um, that the cancer treatments or surgery can have. When we think about, um, chemotherapy on a man's body, Um, besides the fatigue effects and just uh, feeling maybe not 100% the energy impact, you know, uh, when we talk in general about sex, so I'm going to talk, differentiate between intercourse or sex with self versus uh, sexual play or intimacy, kissing, uh, touching, being close to someone physically. And I think cancer treatments can impact all of those. But for the sake of our conversation, I'm going to specifically talk about uh, the mechanics of sex right now. Sure. Uh, um, so um, 
for uh, for a man's body, chemotherapy, certainly from the side effects like fatigue and things like um, dry mouth or um, uh, mouth sores, even that sometimes we don't think about the negative impact it can have on wanting to be sexually intimate with someone if you're conscientious about your mouth or it doesn't feel comfortable. Um, if you have radiation and you're concerned about um, bowel incontinence or just um, discomfort that can impact fear or anxiety related to sexual intimacy, um, or again, urgency and, and not knowing whether um, intercourse or um, masturbation is going to stimulate that um, bowel urgency. Some people have fears just a, about that. Um, and, and then communicating. I think men uh, are getting better and better as we go. If I'm going to gender stereotype, men are getting better about communicating. Uh, yay. But I would, yeah, yay. <laughs> I would not say it's the innate strength of many men. Um, so communicating needs is not always um, something that men, especially around sex, feel is comfortable with. So if there have been sexual changes or arousal changes, let's say that... Um, his, your, the male's skin is is uncomfortable when it's touched or it doesn't like being kissed in a certain way or um, they're uncomfortable or embarrassed about um, the erection or the lack of erection or the lowered libido, um, that they may not be communicating that to their partner or their team. And so communication is probably the biggest step in improving any of those side effects for men. So, you know, again, the most common side effects would be erectile disorder or um, a, a decrease in erectile um, firmness, libido or lower interest, and that might be an emotional reaction because they just don't feel great or they're scared about life or they have anxiety or depression. There also might be um, lowered libido um, from hormones. That's not common for men um, related to colon cancer, but you know, people have bodies and testosterone can lower for a number of reasons. So it could be um, an implication. And then, you know, libido, of course, is always lowered because of fatigue and just not feeling great in one's body. Sure. The different challenges that, that women would may, may face. Sure. So I think women as well, body image issues, um, probably more pronounced than men, but um, uh, not always, um, related to the changes in body, um, feeling in their body, if they've had weight gain or weight loss because of, um, the treatments or steroids or other things needed to manage some of the side effects. Um, libido change is probably the thing I hear from most women, um, related to, um, the chemotherapy effects and just the many other things they're managing, and then the natural aging process for women, libido is a natural change as women approach menopause or go through menopause, which is the common age of women getting diagnosed with colon and rectal cancer. Um, so I think it complicates or confounds that as well, the interest in sex. Um, when I say libido, the interest in sex. Um, and then the body's response to sex as well. If they're caught up in feeling negative about their body or anxious about the way their body feels, they may not have much interest in sex because their body doesn't respond in the same way related to, again, anxiety. And whether that's fears um, of, of incontinence or fear of pain, fear of discomfort. For women, um, it isn't uncommon to have pelvic pain um, with, with penetration. So um, although they might still have pleasure with clitoral stimulation, um, if they've had pelvic radiation or they've had a resection, um, 
of, of any kind, they may have a narrowing of the pelvic floor or the vaginal wall, and they may have vaginal stenosis, which means there's a narrowing of the vaginal canal, and that can create painful intercourse. Um, it also can just be painful with a gynecological exam. So um, a lot of women are given dilators after treatment, which are um, devices that look like um, different shaped candlesticks or different sized candlesticks. They're um, uh, used to put inside the vagina to help with vaginal reconditioning and strengthening. But a lot of women don't think to use them, even though their doctor may have recommended them, either A, because they're not having intercourse to begin with, so they don't think to use them, or B, they're not interested in having intercourse, and so they wait until they're interested to use them. And then you're looking at much more complication and in, in kind of uh, essentially the, there's a lot more physical therapy required if you wait than when you're prescribed. So a proactive approach is is, rec is recommended? Definitely. A proactive approach is always recommended. And, and clearing it with your doctor, there are some physicians um, – for when going through treatment for rectal cancer, for example, that while you're getting radiation, they may not want you using dilator therapy until you're complete with radiation just because they don't want to aggravate anything or risk um, tearing or bleeding or, or any of that. But, but um, if the physician approves it, the more proactive, the better for sure. So the, the, the common thing that you mentioned between genders uh, was libido. Yeah. Uh, were suggestions on, on how to overcome that challenge? So I think one of the most important things to remember is um, our brain is our most important sex organ. And our skin is the largest sex organ, and colorectal cancer really impacts neither of those, if you will. I mean, it impacts some of it, but only a small portion of the skin. And so libido often gets a bad rap because of our media today, where they show 22-year-olds who look at another 22-year-old and is sexually drawn immediately with that gaze across the um, the, you know, the, the walkway. And um, libido is really about the desire to want to be sexually intimate, the desire to want to want to have sex, and not necessarily the body saying, oh my gosh, I'm horny, or I'm turned on, or I want to have sex. Because if we're looking to our body to give cues for it to be turned on or aroused, given that your body often feels fatigued or maybe some nausea or that you feel like your body's rejected you or gone against you in some ways, your body may not give you those same cues. And that that's true as we age in general. So again, confounding factors. But if our brain says, I want to want this, I want to desire to be sexually intimate, I want to be sexually intimate, our brain then can take steps to help improve our libido. So if I want to be sexually intimate with my partner, I may need to think about it throughout the day, fantasize about what it might be like, um, be intentional about the communication I give my partner, like leave a sticky note telling him or her that um, I'm feeling uh, amorous today, or I can't wait to spend time with you, or be intentional about music. I mean, it's, some of it's going back to the basics, right, of setting the stage. So um, if uh, a warm bath or a walk on the beach or a walk outside or just sitting outside watching the sunset is something that intrigues you um, uh, both sexually and, and intimately, then you put those things in place to help your brain 
desire that sexual intimacy. The other reality is if we wait for our body to say, oh, I'm aroused or, oh, I'm horny, we're going to wait a long time um, because life happens and kids walk in rooms and all kinds of things interrupt some of those patterns. So when we can set a, t- set a time aside to be sexually intimate, even if it's not about intercourse, but just rather, you know, on Thursday nights, we're going to go upstairs early and we're going to close the door. And by 10 o'clock or nine o'clock, or if you're on treatment, seven o'clock, um, that you go upstairs and you're just intentional about being intimate again and removing the, the pressure of sex, but just being intimate, intimate and using sensual touch your body. You may notice as the touch starts may have an arousal response, but if you don't offer it some of those steps or some of the foreplay, it probably won't. You're just going to keep waiting for that libido to magically appear. Is uh, a common, I don't want to use the word mistake, but uh, another word is not coming to mind. Do we sometimes set the bar too high in expectations <laughs> that it's got to be you know, intercourse and orgasm as opposed to just saying, you know, let's just be close and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's I think that's right, and I think especially in American society, again, the way we portray uh, sex is um, oftentimes unrealistic. Um, you know, it's not clean and simple. It's messy, and it's there are things that cause us to laugh, and um, sometimes it's emotional, and. Um, sometimes it's quick and sometimes it's long and sometimes it's, it doesn't meet the goals that we have measurable. So even starting the conversation with your partner about, um, sexual intimacy is important to me and it, and it may look different on different days. Um, for some women, they may not be able to, or for some men, they may not be able to have anal penetration. And so their sexual practices may need to change, but their sexual pleasure doesn't necessarily need to change. So maybe again, laying naked and holding one another is um, a a form of sexual intimacy that's pleasurable. Um, And maybe um, middles is pleasurable or breast play or kissing or just enjoying each other's skin um, or um, reading erotica together and enjoying the fantasy in your brains together, Um, watching a romantic comedy. There are so many ways to integrate intimacy and sexual intimacy that's um, sensual and sexual, um, that if we give ourselves permission to, to sometimes redefine it as our, as our body needs it to. So if I'm really fatigued, um, maybe intercourse, I don't have the energy for it, but I can absolutely snuggle naked with my partner or um, we can kiss for a while and hold each other. That it's, again, communicating and, and sharing opportunities to be jostled a lot of, and I hear this more from women than I do from men, um, women that if they start kissing their partner, then suddenly the partner is going to expect intercourse and they don't necessarily want intercourse because it's painful or, um, they're too tired, but they still want sexual intimacy. And so again, the communication between partners around, but I have the energy for intercourse, but I'd love to be sexually intimate, um, is really important. How does the picture change when you're t- looking at it? Sage, from the caregiver's perspective. Yeah. So I think, you know, we talk a lot about how cancer, uh, if you're in a um, partnership, it often impacts the partner just as much, just in different ways. So, um, you know, neither of you asked for this cancer to enter into your world and change um, the way that you manage your relationship. And so 
giving the partner permission to have feelings about that is also important, right? So the partner can be angry that cancer's come into their world as well and sad that cancer has changed um, the sex life that they used to have or eager to look at how to explore a new way of being sexually intimate. Um, and oftentimes, uh, I'm gonna get gender specific here, I hear from male partners, whether they're partnered with other men or whether they're partnered with women, that there is a fear of appearing selfish if they try to initiate um, sexual pleasure because their partner, they don't want to um, make it feel like that matters that much to them, that they're okay, but that they miss it and they would like to do it, but then they're afraid to initiate out of the fear of being perceived as selfish. And so um, the, the caregivers often delicately dance on, do I bring it up? Do I not bring it up? Should I just worry about satisfying myself? I don't want them to feel rejected, but I don't know how to initiate without making them feel bad. And then on the flip side, the survivor or the patient often then has the feeling like, why isn't he touching me anymore? Or why isn't she touching me anymore? Why doesn't she initiate like she used to? Or he doesn't initiate like he used to. And that the internalization of that is they must not find me attractive or they must not want me anymore. And on the caregiver side, 99.9% .9 of the time, when I see couples, it is not at all that. It's, oh my gosh, I didn't want to perceive, be perceived as selfish or pushy, or I didn't want to hurt you. Or the last time I touched you, you smacked my hand away. So I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to keep touching you. Um, you the caregiver, you know, there's, there's a ton of support for uh, people in treatment or out of treatment that are survivors or patients. There's not as much support for caregivers. And so their life is normal and they don't necessarily get recognized in the midst of this, that this impacts them too. So they may internally have some feelings, distress, depression, anxiety, worry, fear that also impact their libido. Um, and so it's not uncommon for a caregiver's libido to be affected as well. But again, not because they're not attracted to their partner, but because we've just added a lot more stress and distress to their lives. And it sounds like it goes back to the word you used earlier, and that's communi communication, which whether you have, you're dealing with cancer or yeah. not, yeah. isn't that always where it comes back to? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so funny how we struggle with it because so many things would be improved and so much easier if we just talked. So yes, very important. Very important. Mm -hmm. So as you're probably aware, um, there's been uh, unfortunately an alarming increase in the rate of diagnosis in young people, young people. Partic mm -hmm. particularly in rectal cancer. Yeah. Uh, talk to me, talk to us about uh, being single in the dating scene and how mm -hmm. this dynamic uh, plays a part of it. Yeah, I'm, I, I think there is no way to sugarcoat that or make it sound flat. Having cancer and being single and going back into the dating world, uh, either going through treatment or after, it sucks. Um, and, and, and I have no other way to say that, but I think there are a lot of real great success stories that I hear all the time about people who are young, have been diagnosed, um, and have found really powerful, wonderful relationships after their cancer diagnosis. So um, I want to encourage those who are single and considering dating that it is not kind of a death sentence to dating or relationships. It can be scary, and it is awkward to bring it up, and it can suck. But it also, there's a lot of people out there that um, will take you just as you are. So I think when when thinking about the dating world, the first thing I say to people is, 
you have to know yourself before you put yourself out there. So understand your cancer, understand the implications of your cancer, understand what it means to your sexual body, understand what it means to your fertility, because with cancer being as prevalent as it is and on the media as much as it is, um, young adults are well are way more informed about cancer than they used to be 15 years ago. So their healthy, quote unquote, counterparts or peers may actually be well informed on cancer and have a lot of questions and may be as bold to say, are you going to die or can you have kids or uh, what does this mean that you have a bag? Right. So knowing um, your own story and understanding what your body, how it responds and what it needs is going to be really important going into a dating relationship so that you're prepared to both answer questions so that they are put at ease when you answer the questions. Um, because the more confident you sound, the more confident they're going to be and relaxed about the diagnosis or the history of the diagnosis. Um, also just physically getting to know your body again, because it's not uncommon for our erogenous zones to sometimes be impacted by treatments. So if you had pelvic radiation, um, maybe um, you have skin sensitivity or irritation um, that impacts when you're touched. It, maybe it's uncomfortable or it's highly sensitive. And before you get into a sexual relationship with someone, you should know that so that you can guide them appropriately rather than fumbling through it and jumping or getting hurt um, and creating pain for yourself or the person that you're sexually intimate with, you can guide them through that. Things like, um, you know, I, I know that uh, after I eat, I'm going to need to be by a bathroom within, you know, 20 minutes. Um, those kinds of things, as long as you educate them and it's not a surprise so that you know that you've been able to navigate life as inconvenient as it might be sometimes, they, you're comfortable to them comfortable and confident. And the more comfortable and confident you are in your body and the way it feels and the way you understand your sexual body after cancer, you can then direct and guide them to knowing your sexual body, the more comfort, comf confident and comfortable they're going to be in navigating your sexual body. And, and again, you know, that goes even a bag, knowing some of the steps to just integrate that um, into life, that um, it's part of you and it's part of your story. And there are lots of ways to cover up bags and make them um, not in the way of sexual play. And so learning some techniques on how to do that, why do I disclose that I've had cancer? My, my, my kind of standard advice is do it before you have strong feelings for the person. So um, when we're young adults, typically by date four, we're pretty sure we really like this person and want date five, six, seven, and eight. Um, and so before date five maybe would be a good time and, and um, disclosing it in, in a way that's authentic and true to you. If wearing a I'm a survivor t-shirt is authentic and true to you, then you wear that t-shirt. If um, integrating it into your life story is, if, is authentic and true to you, then that's the way you do it. I think what's really important to remember, even though it may feel like sometimes, especially with colon cancer, that the cancer sometimes, even after the cancer's done treating, continues to run your life, um, it doesn't define you. It's a part of your story, it's a part of you, but it, it does not define you. Great advice. As we get to the near the, near the end of this conversation, I know you're busy and I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, uh, one major piece of advice that you would offer folks who 
start to think about sex, uh, you know, perhaps being newly diagnosed, if you were to make one overall suggestion, what would that be, Sage? Oh, gosh, one suggestion. I think give yourself permission to be sexual, first of all, um, that uh, you are a human in a human body that happens to have cancer, and that does not remove the fact that you're a sexual being. Um, so giving yourself permission to redefine what that might look throughout the course of your treatment. If you have advanced disease and you're going to be living with this for a while, that may mean that you need to re redefine it every time you get a new treatment that um, has new side effects. And learning and, and learning how to navigate that and manage that for your own body and your sexual body is important. And for those who complete treatment, that you have the right to sexual intimacy. You have the right to be a sexual person. Um, and find if you have questions initially when you're newly diagnosed about how this might impact your sexual health or your sex now or in the future, talk to a trusted colleague or a healthcare professional. So whether that's the social worker or the nurse, whoever you feel safest with, they may not have the answers for you immediately, but they will get them. Um, and then if, if there are ongoing problems or issues, you know, there are people like me throughout the country who are oncology social workers and also sex certified sex therapists. You can also find a sex therapist um, on ASEC, American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, or an oncology social worker on the Association of Oncology Social Work website. So both of those resources would be good tools for you to have. Okay. Could you give us the first website again? Sure. ASECT is the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. It's aasect.org. Great. Sage, I can't thank you enough. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, and uh, any place, any other online resources that you would recommend people uh, go to for additional information or guidance? Sure. So um, the NCI actually has some really great resources on um, sexual health and sexual recovery, as well as fertility and reproductive um, issues. Um, so I would definitely check out NCIs and you can type in the little search box sexuality and it will um, give you a bunch of information related to that. Um, the Colon Cancer Alliance is beefing up their information uh, related to sexual health as well. Um, and then the American Cancer Society has a PDF on their website that's called Sexuality and the Man with Cancer and His Partner or Sexuality and the Woman with Cancer and Her Partner. They are They are pretty heteronormative. So if you're in multiple relationships or you're in a same sex relationship, there's still information you can apply. Just, I always like preparing for people for that. There's also for women, I think there um, is a book that's uh, not for cancer survivors necessarily, but a great get to know your body book called Sex Matters for Women uh, by Sally Foley, Sally Cope, and Dennis Sagru. And that's a great resource. And then there are two books written by Ann Katz, who's a nurse in Canada. Uh, that's uh, cancer, uh, man cancer sex and woman cancer sex. So both of those are also great, great tools. Great. Well, I appreciate your your help with those resources. Yeah. Sage, thank you again. Appreciate you taking the time. Be well. Thanks, Lee. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast presented by Coloplast. And thank you to our sponsors, Coloplast, H2ORS, and Exact Sciences for your support. The Colon Cancer Podcast is a proud sponsor of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer. 
Thanks for listening to the Colon Cancer Podcast, presented by Coloplast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit thecoloncancerpodcast.com forward slash subscribe. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. Again, that's ccalliance.org. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.